0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Education Technology Solutions podcast. Today, our guest is Peter West. Peter currently leads a learning technologies team that explores new learning technologies for a leading VET organization. He was previously the, the director of e-learning at St. Stephen's College on the Gold Coast, Australia, and he's been leading learning organizations in all aspects of technology-enhanced learning for over 20 years. Uh, Peter, today, I welcome to the show. Hi John, thank you. Uh, So for those people who are listening to this, I guess what we're talking about today is, you know, the the coronavirus has significantly changed the way that we're learning at the moment. The whole thing's gone online, so that that horse has bolted. There's no point talking about how do we do online learning, but based on discussions you and I have had, this is really more looking at what is it that we are hoping that school leaders learn at the end of this experience to make you know the whole coronavirus online learning experience worthwhile
1: yeah exactly john it's do we come out of this do we come out of this smarter and better and more in tune with the 21st century or do we go back to well what we've always done in the past and that i think is the key one and that's the that's the key thing for leadership i think teachers are ready for change
0: um, but I think leadership has to really bite the bullet and decide where they're going to go. Yeah, because I mean, I I guess the fear here is that we've seen a huge amount of time, effort, energy, money and resources put into quickly building an environment to help students learn online because we've been forced into an environment where we've had to. And what we're seeing in some ways, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but we're, we're seeing parallels and mirrors here between this and the digital education revolution that happened in the early 2000s where all of a sudden schools were flooded with money under the Rudd government and it was a case of, okay, let's have this digital education revolution. Everyone ran around like a headless chook buying anything and everything that they could possibly get their hands on without a real plan, and we came out the other side of it sitting around with a lot of machines that went bing, that no one really understood what they did, and there was no overarching coordinating plan. I guess what I'm hoping that we can avoid here is a similar situation where post-coronavirus, we go back to a model where kids are in classrooms again, we don't necessarily want to just go right back to what we were doing before the coronavirus. There's got to be stuff that comes out of this that's useful, positive, and transformational.
1: Exactly. And it's interesting that you raised that one about the um, the revolution, the, the Kevin Rudd laptop money, um, because I was in the midst of that and watched this whole thing unfold. And I saw a lot of schools, a lot of organisations struggling with that. But for the school I was leading the e-tech, the edtech stuff at the time, it was a godsend. We already had our strategy in place, we were already building it. We had our teaching and learning models, we were moving towards blended learning and when that happened we went, this is fantastic because we knew exactly what we wanted to buy, we knew exactly the infrastructure we wanted to improve. We knew exactly the professional development that we needed to, we need. We had the whole lot planned because we had a vision for where we were going for that predated the Kevin Rudd money. And so that was fantastic. And it just lifted us up to the next level. And yet I've I, I heard of a lot of organisations that bought a bunch of laptops that just got stuck away because they didn't have that in place and they didn't have the support structures, the IT staff, um, the IT knowledge the educational knowledge on what to do with that. And there are big parallels here. And as I said, I didn't think of that until you raised it. But so, what I'm after here, what I think we need to do is we need to have organizations with that vision of what is education going to look like in the future? And it shouldn't be what was there in the past. I mean, we're in 2020, for goodness sake. So if that makes sense, and we can expand on that if you like.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, look, this is, to me, this is really interesting because as an outsider to the industry, sure, I've been writing about this for the last 20 years, but I'm not a teacher, I'm an observer. I look at the industry through the lens of an outsider. And it seems to me that what we have seen in the last three months or two months really is probably 10 years worth of development that should have been going on over the last decade suddenly being kicked in the backside and told it has to happen now. Now, some schools were ready for it and well-prepared for it. Some schools were terribly and woefully unprepared for it and have probably gone into this using, you know, the equivalent of duct tape and spit. Um, And other schools were somewhere in between. And it, it really, to me, is about what comes next and how do we make sure that we take away from this something that can actually enhance education and really move it forward
1: exactly and you pointed out there there are some schools that had their act together and what i'd love to see is for the leaders of schools and other educational organizations to go okay there's these and i forget who gave me the term these islands of excellence mm. in amongst this sea of chaos and that's what i see um but there are these these schools, these organisations that have got their act together, and I think as educational leaders, they should be now looking around to go, where are these places? What have they done so that they can just pivot into this? Now, my old school, I've been away for a couple of years, but they've been in very good hands, um, and many of many of the teachers there could just pivot straight into this. There was no big deal because they already had the online environment there. We spent ten years looking after that to get it ready. Um, it was ready before that, but um, the infrastructure was in place, the the hardware was in place. this it wasn't new to the students in the secondary um, school because they've been using online learning environments um, for years. The courses were set up so they could work through individually so that they could then, Work with the teachers on more personal and, and detailed aspects of the learning. So they just pivoted through. I mean, for example, I did an analysis back in 2016, and on a Sunday, we had half of the senior college online working through courses, Yeah, two-thirds of the year 11 and 12 students. Now, the teachers were used to that. The students are used to that so that when you suddenly go, well, hold on, you're working from home. Well, they've got all that background knowledge and background experience plus all the resources online. You know, teaching teaching students that remotely is more than suddenly, what you know, firing up teams and, and duplicating what you had in the classroom. There's this whole ecosystem underneath it and a whole attitude and also an understanding of the different methodologies of teaching in the modern world. And if we go and find those organisations that have got a bit of that done, and pick the the best bits, we can build a modern education system, a modern learning environment. Um, I mean, I'll I'll give you another example, online exams, proctored online exams, which most schools won't have to worry about, but that's suddenly something that's come up on my radar. Well, I found an organisation that's been running at that since 2017 and has got a lot of the ducks lined up with that. Well, we'd be crazy to not use, to not leverage their knowledge. And so I I almost see it, that's an example, but I almost see it with some of the stuff that I've done in the past and that the organisations done in the past and some of these schools have got. I often make the statement that they've got answers to questions when we haven't even thought of the question because they've been doing it and doing it well for so long. We need to find those and we need to cherry-pick all of that and build a modern online learning environment ready for this to happen again, because it will. Yeah. But also to improve the modern classroom.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that I keep sort of wondering about and thinking about as a result of all of this is, you know, we've we've had a very sort of, and people are going to howl me down for this, but we've had a very 18th century sort of model of education going for a long time now where kids turn up to school at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, they do their day's worth of education with their various classes and then they go home. I can't help but wondering whether or not one of the things that will come out of this is whether or not we're forced to sit back and look at the entire education model and go, is this really, honestly, the best way to be doing things? Exactly.
1: I agree. I agree. I mean, I don't think we need to throw the whole lot out. No. But I think we need to. Tweak it. And that concept of, as a student, you will learn between this time and this time in this location with this person. That to me is just wrong. I mean, I nicknamed this group from the students I've been working with in the past when we set up the online environment. I nicknamed net the Netflix generation of education because they want to learn when they want to learn. And with our online learning environment, I was checking the, the logs. And we had a you know a student every now and again, or students who'd log in at 4.30 in the morning. And yeah. people would go, well, that's really sad that they do that. And I go, no, that's their choice. If they want to learn at that time, why should we stop them? We have the resources there, that's up to them. And then we support them at whatever other time it may be. So there's a wholesale change, I think, that needs to happen. But that model of... Now, I, I also think, though... And um, this is something that came up. I don't think we need to throw away the physical school, obviously, because I think there's so many important things that that, uh, that occur there. And there's the socialisation and there's that personal relationship with the teachers and other students. So I think if we come out of this with picking up, deciding what the best human parts of education are, because, my goodness, we need to hang on to them, the best ways to make education and learning personal and individual for the student while also leveraging the best of the technology, then we've got a winner. And that's what should be happening, I think.
0: Yeah, but it seems to me we definitely don't want to necessarily throw out the the current physical school model. But what we can take from this is if we say, okay, I have a student in my school who is a very bright student, and I'm just using this as an example, that wants to study um, a very advanced maths path, right? But I don't have a teacher at my school that can do that. But there is a teacher three suburbs over who can do that. Why does our timetable necessarily have to be structured? And I know we're getting way into the weeds here and off the beaten track, but why does does my timetable have to be structured around the resources that I have in my physical campus? Why can't it be that if another school has a teacher that meets my students' needs, he can teach a class once or twice a week with 30 students in it from all over Australia. Or I might have a teacher and she's an absolute whiz at a particular subject or language and she can host a class from my school for 30 kids from all over Australia for which she's a specialist.
1: Hmm. They're the possibilities. But it's, it's almost happening by default. Or in the background anyway when you get people like um well joel Speranza who's doing lots of math lightboard videos out there um and you get you know WooTube, that sort of stuff and students will find these people and they will become their de facto teachers anyway yeah and i think a lot of that is is happening now but to get back to the original thing what do we think should come out of this Yep. so i'm hoping that i mean and i, I don't want to put anyone offside here i think Educators and leaders in education have got so many things going on and so many pressures and sometimes survival is, you know, you've just got to get through with all the stuff that's going on. But what I would love is for the leaders of education, for us to be able to say, what should modern education look like? Give me a really clear picture. Yeah. And I'm not sure how many people could respond to that with a really clear vision? And that would be interesting to go out. I mean, we're throwing in all this remote teaching and all that, which needs to happen. We've got to salvage this situation. And my goodness, teachers have been working overtime and IT departments have been working overtime to, to salvage this situation and do the best for students and teachers, for that matter. <laughs> my goodness, they've they've been thrown in the deep end in some cases. Oh, yeah. But at the end, we have got to come out but what's the picture? What is it going to look like? And then how, as leaders in education, leaders of these organizations, how are you going to support that change so that we become a modern technology-enhanced learning environment? That's the trick. Now, I've written heaps of articles about this over the last 10 years on the whole process of that. It's not a mystery anymore, but it's a matter of, How do we do it? And does it suddenly become a priority? Because I also learned quite a while ago that there is time and energy and money in education, as in most things, if it's seen as really important. And my concern is that this hasn't been seen as important. I mean, if we go back to Stephen Covey's um, book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, when he did his quadrants. And he's got his quadrants of urgent and important. So you can get something that's urgent and important, yep. which is what we've got now. You can get urgent but not important, important but not urgent, and so on. So what we've had is we've had some people thinking of this as important but not urgent, and others thinking of modern modernizing education as being not urgent and not important. And suddenly, suddenly they've been thrust into the urgent and important quadrant. Yep. Well, but what, is that, what should that look like? Now, there's a picture there, and it, it comes back to infrastructure, IT support, a good online learning environment, not just the basic LMS, good online courses that support in-class teaching, and that can happen. I've seen it happen. I've done it. Um, training your staff on the different methodologies, Convincing your teachers that the technology is not a threat, supporting them in the change because it is, it's is—it's a big change for a lot of people and they have to be gently led through that. Um, putting all those bits in place, showing the students how it's going to benefit them, showing the parents how it's going to benefit them, that you build this entire ecosystem and then when something like this happens, you've got a really solid foundation to build on but that the problem with that is that it takes a lot of planning quite a few resources and a consistent approach for a long period of time this is this is a marathon it's not a sprint but what we've seen lately is instead of a marathon like you know someone's been training for 6 years for the Olympic marathon we've got we've been thrust into a situation where schools and other organizations we're two weeks out from the marathon and suddenly we've had to enter. Yeah. So everybody's gone out and got, well, what diet can we get on? What program? Where's my trainer? Let's get everything together and we'll go like crazy for two weeks. Well, we're not going to be competitive. Yeah. We wouldn't do that for a marathon and yet we've done it here because we've had to. And it's been, it's been a gutsy effort from a lot of people, but we can't then just slip back to sitting back in front of the TV. So to speak, we've got to, We've got to build this structure over a period of years.
0: And and where do they begin to start, though? I mean, what sorts of things should they be taking away from this? Uh, I think a lot of schools would be just scrambling to get through this period at the moment. What sorts of things would you like them to be thinking about? So that's, a, that's a good one. There's so many facets to
1: it. It really it comes down to being... I want them to come out with a commitment to modernise education. That's what I really want. If there's a commitment that, okay, we're going to spend the next, and this sounds crazy, five, six, seven years modernising education and we're going to do that consistently and persistently and we're going to put the resources behind it. And it doesn't have to be super expensive. That's the very first thing that we need. We need that commitment. Then we need to work out what that's going to look like. Now, all those bits that make that up, we can throw that in underneath and that's probably in a whole series of podcasts. But that commitment, first of all, and then the vision of what is it going to look like, then you get down to the basics. You start with the fundamentals. Okay, what what IT infrastructure do we need for that? Because if we don't get that right, you give up on everything. If you can't, If you can't put the right equipment into the hands of your students and teachers, and your network is going to fall over and you don't have enough internet bandwidth, don't even bother about trying to modernize education because you've got no chance. Yeah. So then the second step is you find a good online learning environment. But even before that, you've then got to make sure you've got the right staff because your IT staff, they're the mechanics, they make it all happen, and they are so important. I mean, the IT teams I've had over the years have been spectacular, Um, very capable, very talented, very experienced, but also understood that they were there to support education, that that IT wasn't the focus. So you've you've got to get that that whole whole ICT thing there and then you've got to... But they don't understand education and it's unfair to, to expect them to understand education. They've never been in the classroom. But then you go to your teachers and they understand education, but they don't understand tech. So, and it's unfair to expect them to skill up to understand networks, VPNs, um, IP addresses, you know, bandwidth, all that sort of stuff, operating systems. You can't expect them to do that. So, what you've got to do is you've then got to find what are the e learning people, the people who've got a combination of the education and the technology. And that, I'm not talking about app finders, the teachers who the lone innovators who are very good at finding apps that you then throw into the classroom. It's got to be deeper knowledge than that. And they're rare, but they're out there. So you then find those people who can combine the best of technology and education to drive it forward. Then you start to build your online learning environment and there's ways to do that well, to build your online courses. And all the while, while you're doing that, you've got to be training your staff in the different approaches, the different blended and... Um, blended teaching approaches and the different methodologies. So, in a nutshell, they're all the processes you've got to go through, and you're yep. going to do it consistently and consistently. Yeah. And then you've got something.
0: There are going to be a lot of schools who have already started this journey, though. I mean, do you do you feel that some of them need to sort of do a bit of a U-turn and take two steps back in order to go three steps forward?
1: Well, it depends what they've started. Um, I know organisations that have
0: started down
1: this track doing all sorts of fancy stuff and yet their network is not solid yep. or their hardware that the teachers have is adequate and that's probably the best word. And, you know, it, this the, the infrastructure and the support and everything needs to be top notch. Um, you know, teachers shouldn't walk into a classroom and pray that something is going to work. It should just be like the electricity switch. We walk into a room we flip the switch, we don't go, Oh, I hope the power works. We just know it's gonna work. And that was one of the first things that I had to organize to make all the infrastructure, the online learning environment, everything just work. Yep. And it's only then that you can get to changing the way that teaching and learning works.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds like there's there's quite a bit for schools to actually do and get their heads around. In closing, um, you know, if you had one final parting thought for school leaders to, you know, coming out the other side of this, thinking, you know, what do I most want to take away from this experience? What guiding wisdom would you offer them? Good question. To
1: set up things so this could never happen again, so that if it did everything would be relatively easy. And to do that, you've got to modernise education in every aspect. Yeah. And I go back to...
0: Go on. No, go on. That's all right. Sorry.
1: No, I go back to when, at the last school, um, which was incredible school, still is, um, way back in, I think it was 2000 and when did... Because one of the, the big, I forget whether it was SARS or whatever came through, and we were building our online learning environment. And even then, we went looking, well, if we have to close down, what are we going to do? And we started to find solutions. And from that, I walked away going, we are never going to get caught. If this happens again, we're going to be prepared. But in the process to be prepared, we had to build a really rich, modern learning environment that was far more than just a few computers and laptops in a room. So if we can come out of this going, okay, let's modernise education, let's leverage all of the good bits of technology to make learn, learning and teaching better without just going for the flashy, shiny stuff, because goodness knows there's plenty of that, so that if this happens again, we're ready. If it doesn't happen again, then we are going to have a really a superb, teaching and learning environment that supports students and teachers really, really well. That's what I think we need to come out with. Ply in the sky, big dreams, but why not?
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important because, you know, traditionally people would have looked at what's happening right now as a a bit of a black swan event and and in security terms, black swan events are things that are so rare that they only ever happen once in a lifetime. And, you know, it can have devastating impacts, but you don't really place a huge amount of stock in it because of the likelihood of it actually happening. I think from what we're seeing from most of the experts in this field now, this is not any longer what we would consider to be a black swan event. I mean, as you pointed out before, we had, swine flu in 2002 we had SARS in 2014 now we've got this in 2000 and well 19 but going on 20. I mean chances are we will see this kind of event happen again and it's just a matter of how ready we are for it. Exactly but on the flip side or on the same side what we'll
1: also get out of it if we leverage this properly is a really an individual personal or more, more individual more more personal learning environment for students a richer learning environment for teachers where they can actually get down to instead of teaching to the group working with individuals and in smaller groups on what their particular issues are it and I've seen it we can create a much richer and are much more human, it's almost a paradox, we can use technology to make education even more human and more effective. And that, I think, is what we need to get out of this. Yeah, for sure.
0: Peter, thank you very much for your time. It has been a, uh, a pleasure having you on the show. Obviously, if uh, people want to get in contact with you and find out more about the articles you've written and the things you've done, where do they go?
1: Ah, uh, the probably the best bit is to have a look on LinkedIn, and I don't have a URL here, but it, it's on. I think it's on your website, John, on one of the articles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So people can go to www.educationtechnologysolutions.com. Uh, and find all of your stuff there, or alternatively, they can look up Peter West online, um, and then obviously there's your URL, your email details, and whatnot there. And if you do want to find Peter's older articles and some of the more recent stuff that he's written, as I said, visit Education Technology Solutions. Peter, thank you very much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, John
0: been a pleasure and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again next time and if you want to find more podcasts like this one you can find them on the itunes store you can find them on spotify and all of the other great places you get podcasts thank you